Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Well, we're going to look today at Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13. Romans 12, 9 through 13. Um, Let's pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, we ask that you would prepare our hearts to accept your word. And so we ask that you would silence in us any voice but your own. And that hearing we may obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Lord, word of our Lord will stand forever. Now let's look at this text together. And I want to begin by asking this question. According to Jesus, according to Jesus, what is the distinguishing mark of a Christian? What is the distinguishing mark of a Christian? Now let's think about this together. Could it be faith? Surely that which God gives and through which we are His is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. Or could it be hope? Surely that which rests squarely on God's provision in Christ and in that which we are to abound, Scripture teaches us, surely hope is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. But as essential as faith is, and as is important as hope is, shortly before the conclusion of his earthly ministry, our Lord Jesus said this to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And echoing Jesus' command and reinforcing this distinction, Paul confirms. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so it shouldn't be any surprise to us as we work our way through the New Testament to see love for one another taught consistently. For example, when Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, he taught them to love one another as they had already been taught, presumably through the Word of Christ. And Peter emphasizes the importance of obedience and how are we to obey? We're to obey in, quote, brotherly love. We are to love one another earnestly with a pure heart, Peter taught. 
James emphasizes that ethic of the royal law. And John returns to the theme of Christian love in his first epistle consistently. In fact, you can try me on this, look through each chapter of John's first epistle consistently, chapter by chapter. He is reminding us of this. For John, love is the qualifying distinctive. He writes, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light. For John, it's a distinction between the child of God and the child of the devil. It's the distinction of abiding in eternal life and death. It is a distinction of receiving God's love and knowing Him personally, a distinction of what we may refer to, borrowing from our passage today, of genuine love. John says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so there's no debate about the distinguishing mark of love in the life of a Christian. The difficulty comes in the defining and in the doing. For example, the world tells us, and you already know this, but the world tells us that if we really love others, we will accept and even embrace their sin. If we really love someone, we'll, we'll accept, we'll even embrace the sin in their lives. In our culture, love has come to mean social acceptance of personal debauchery. Sadly, some even quote Jesus to support what is distinctly an abomination to God. We have lost our minds. So contrary is the world's definition of love in our own country in the month of June, for heaven's sake. We have lost our ever-loving minds in defining something that God says, I hate that. And the world says, oh, Jesus loves it. God loves it. I was just in a video two weeks ago in which a pastor stood in a pulpit and said from the pulpit that based on the authority of Scripture, that if we love one another, that we'll love that sin. What in the world? Love a sin that God hates? Basically, worldly love seems to be mean calling what God says is evil good. That's pretty much it, I think. In other words, the world would have us define love, even love within the church, not according to God's word, but Satan's ways. This is nothing more than an echo from Eden, and this is not particular to the United States of America in 2022. This has been going on since the fall, consistently, over and over and over again. It's just an echo from Eden where the devil challenged and undermined the word of God and he perverted genuine love. True love. The love of God. This is why it is so important for us as believers to define our terms not from the world, but from the word. This is where we go for our definitions. Because the world's lost its mind. <laughs> it always has. 
What then is the definition of love? 1 John 4, 8. It can't be any more clear. God is love. If you're taking notes, this is one you can memorize, folks. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. He is the standard. God defines love. John goes on to say, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. In other words, don't miss what John is teaching in that verse. Genuine love. The love of God is revealed in and through us. Not perfectly. Not completely. But as a distinguishing mark of who you are. Of whose we are. And for this reason, Paul admonishes the church. Let love be genuine. Meaning, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be authentic. Now, some believe that this passage that we have before us is bullet points. In which the Apostle Paul says, I've got a number of things that I want to say to the church. And so here it goes. Boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. There it is. I've given it to you. But I think that that interpretation, although I don't want to push back too heartily against it, I think that interpretation is wrong. I think that if you look at the context, especially for the fact that in the original Greek, we don't have full sentences here, I believe that what Paul is teaching here is actually rooted in those first two words. Genuine love. Genuine love. And those two words serve as like a heading. So think about this with me. Like a heading. Genuine love. And then what Paul is going to do and what proceeds in verses 10 through 13, or rather, yeah, 10 through 13, what he's going to do is he's going to hang points underneath that heading. Do you want to know what love is? Well, here it goes. He's going to teach us about the nature of love, the nurture of love, and the need of love. Three things that I want you to think of in terms of subjects for this passage. The nature of love, the nurture of love, and the need of love of God in and through us. What is it, is then, the nature of this love that is to be exemplified in the church without hypocrisy? Well, I can tell you this, it's not pretense, it's not an act, and it's surely not some kind of drummed up emotion. Rather, it is the genuine reflection of God's love. It is the genuine reflection of God's love. He who is love, John says, loved us first. And so because he loved us first, this true, this genuine love, it flows from us in our love for one another. We love those whom God loves, like God loves them, like God has loved us. We are, think about it, we are the imperfect conduit through which the perfect love of God flows. We are the imperfect conduit through which the perfect love of God flows. Yet, this can all sound 
Well, it can all sound a wee bit abstract for finite ears, can't it? I mean, practically speaking, what are the characteristics of this genuine love? Give me something practical, John. Well, give me something practical, Paul. Paul provides a balanced set. Abhor evil and hold fast to that which is good. Abhor evil and hold fast to that which is good. How contrary this way is to the world, isn't it? Who would define love beginning with hating evil? Who would do that? Who would define love by beginning with hate, exceedingly hate, really hate evil? Who would do that? God. God would do that. It's exactly where he's directing us here. And so how we understand this abhorring evil and holding fast to good love begins by, well, this abhor. The word abhor means to hate exceedingly. It's similar, so it's the verb form, or not precisely, but it would be a, a verb equivalent to the noun abomination. A hating of something. And this holding fast, as it's translated here, means to, to cling to something. The Greek word there means like glue. How are we to be with something that, that with the goodness of God? Glued together. That would be a good way to think of that. So love says, love says, abhor evil, cling to good. The genuine love that Paul describes then is not a tepid or a fleeting emotion, but it is volitional. There is action that is applied here away from evil and united with good. As we submit to God's definition of love, we grow in our understanding. We grow in our perception. And interestingly enough, we grow in our love for one another. And I want that to sink in for just a second. We grow in our love for one another by understanding that love is defined by hating evil and clinging to what is good. There's a connection between purity in the church and loving one another. And explaining what love is to the church at Corinth, as was read earlier, Paul said, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And most would stop right there. But Paul goes on. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. That's what love does. Love doesn't rejoice in the world's definition of love. No, real, genuine love. The love that we are to have of one another in the church rejoices in the truth. What Paul describes here is intentionally relational. Because we aren't merely fighting individually for the right definition of truth, as important as that may be, but living it out together. 
living out this love together, devoted to one another with this mutual love, or it's translated here in the ESV, this brotherly love that we share in Christ. Now, to be clear, I realize that there is a potential cynical response to Paul's description of genuine love. For any of us that have been in the church for longer than, let's say, 24 hours, here's what we know, right? Some of us have encountered anything but what could be defined as Christian love, leading us to wonder why God would choose such an imperfect vessel to convey His love. I would love to explain that to you. But I can't. It's a mystery. I have no idea. Because when I examine my own heart, I see that I may be the chief example of what not to use to convey the love of God. You may think the same. But here's what I know. Like everything else in life, We can no more let exceptions define the rule than let our flesh define our faith. That I know. So you can criticize the church and I might just come right alongside you. And we might just rant and rave and criticize the church for all of her faults. But when you experience the love of God in it, it is unexplainable. And if God has been gracious enough to you to allow you to experience that love in the church, you know exactly what I'm talking about and it will bring you to tears. It does me. It's like like the nurturing love of a family times ten. And this is precisely the language that Paul is using to describe it. Love one another, Paul says. Love one another. Or they could be translated, be devoted to one another. That's the idea. Be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. Or I think that's better translated with mutual love. Be devoted to one another with mutual love. This is familial language, isn't it? A family bound, not by blood, but by the Spirit. And united in fellowship with one another. It's a communion devoted to one another in Christ. With the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And for most of us, we forget about the good. And yet, God has chosen to use us. In love. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. So how is this genuine love evidenced in the church? How may we see the love of Christ among us? Well, Paul gives us clear direction here. Remember those bullet points? Boom, boom. Boom, boom. That he's shooting at us. He's firing off. Well, he's giving us direction here. Let's look at this together. The first point of direction that Paul gives us is 
outdo one another in showing honor. First, outdo one another in showing honor. Such love is not reluctant. It's proactive. Requiring not only church attendance, that's like that's the easy part, but church attentiveness. To know you, And for you to know me, we must know what is going on in one another's lives. Did I mention that I just had another granddaughter born just a couple of days ago? Not sure if I told you about that. (laughs) In knowing you then, I will diligently seek to honor you above me. Which I might add, my flesh hates. My flesh is in love with me. I'm a big deal to my flesh. (laughs) And yet, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, in love, I honor you above me. Now, this is neither a call for invasion of privacy, nor is it a call for being fake or flattery. But as one commentator paraphrases it, quote, Don't wait around for people to recognize your contributions and praise you. Instead, Be alert to what they are contributing and honor them. Or as someone else puts it, we need to learn how to practice playing second fiddle. I think that's a good way to put it. Number two, zealously and fervently serve the Lord together. Zealously and fervently serve the Lord together. Life can wear you down. Even in doing that which is most important. People have this idea, well, if I just live the, ha- the normal Christian life, everything's just going to go so well. Everything's going to be so happy and peaceful. Look at John, he's such a happy camper. I'm not a happy camper. Most of the time, ask my wife. I get frustrated. I get tired. And you do too. We all do in serving the Lord. And if we are to serve the Lord as we are called to do, not complacently, but what? Zealously. Not in drudgery, but fervently. That word fervent could be translated enthusiastically. Then we need one another. We need one another. This is yet another reason we need one another in the local church. As I preached last Sunday, there is no such thing as the churchless Christian. That is seen again in this passage. We need the local church. That we might not lag. That we might not lose our enthusiasm in serving the Lord. In love, what do we do? Well, in love, we come alongside one another. Helping each other fight the temptation to be what I call a lazy loner. You know what a lazy loner is? It's someone who thinks that the Christian life is all about them and their seclusion, hiding out somewhere away from all you weird church people and doing nothing, doing nothing to serve the Lord because the Lord is served in the church, in love to one another. And so we're not called to be a lazy loner, but we are to rescue one another from the sloth. Of selfishness. 
to continue to serve the Lord fervently, our spirits need the encouragement of our spirit-filled brothers and sisters. Because here's what I know. I know that just as I am capable of doing something in my own flesh and hurting you, I'm a professional at that, I might add, I also know that God works through His Spirit-indwelled people. And the Lord has used you and you, and you, and you. And I can go around the room at the number of people that God has used just in my own personal life to come alongside me, to encourage me. And so as each of us are gifted uniquely, our service varies. Our service varies according to our gifts, but our zeal and our fervency doesn't. Our zeal and our fervency doesn't. Together we are one body in one spirit serving one Lord. Think about that. And what Paul is advocating and admonishing here is not hubristic optimism. And I might add, he's also not advocating like apocalyptic pessimism that seems to be in vogue in certain Christian circles. He's not advocating that at all. That is ridiculous. What's he advocating here? He is encouraging us to encourage one another. Not with a sunny outlook. Ah, just be happy. Don't worry. Right? No. On the contrary, the trials and the tribulations of your sanctification and my sanctification, they await us. Trials and tribulations ahead on the forecast. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. (laughs) Genuine love never patronizes. But what it does is it points us to praise. It points us to perseverance. It points us to prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. One commentator puts it this way. In so far as we have cause to hope, let us be joyful. In so far as we have cause of pain, let us hold out. In so far as the door of prayer is open to us, let us continue to use it. Now one of the fundamental ways then that we love one another is reminding one another of the hope that we have in Christ. A truth that is worth rejoicing in, isn't it? And we remind one another of the gospel. Because I forget it. Consistently. And so one of the things that I hope to do for you is to remind you to hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In love. In love this morning. May I point you to this? May I point you to the perfect life? The sacrificial death and the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so we rejoice and we hope in this gospel of Jesus Christ and in hope we await the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us all from lawlessness and to, to, easy for you to say, to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. And it's also in hope 
that we long for our transformation unto glory. John said, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And, and in these things and many others, we hope. And in love, we encourage one another in this hope, rejoicing in the hope that is ours in Christ. Likewise, and I think this next one is very important, likewise, we walk together through the valleys of tribulation. We walk through the valleys of tribulation together knowing that trials develop steadfastness, refining us and conforming us to Christ. But what we often forget is, is that we need not walk alone. Now, you know what tendency is? Tendency is, is when the pain sets in, we go in the room and we lock the door. We isolate ourselves from one another. I want to do that. I don't want you bothering me. I want to just wallow in my self-pity. I am a professional at wallowing. That is our tendency. But we need not forget that we need not walk alone. Of course, walking through the valleys together. Or I might add, let's add to this the positive side of this, of cresting the mountain peaks as well. We do this together. But it requires patience. It requires patience on your part. It requires patience on my part. It requires wisdom on your part. Wisdom on my part. We must learn when and how to weep with those who weep. We must learn when and how to laugh with those who laugh. Learning to live this life together in the love of Christ. And you're not going to get it right all the time. And I'm not going to get it right all the time. And so we're going to extend grace to one another, right? All of this, of course, calls for consistent prayer. Continuing intercession for one another. But think about this. Think about the topic of prayer. Because if we ask a Christian, do you think prayer is a good thing? I mean, that's like, John, do you like food? I mean, of course. Well, yes, yes, prayer is a good thing. But have you ever considered how praying for someone else other than yourself is an act of love? I must consider you personally. Your wants. Your needs in order to petition the Lord on your behalf. i got to know. Oh, you know, God bless Joe. I don't think there's a Joe here today, is there? Yeah, God bless Joe. Yeah. No. In order for me to petition the Lord, I have to know you. I have to know what's going on in your to pray on your behalf. And this is one of the beautiful things about asking one another for prayer. A request that connotes relationship. A response that conveys communion. A requisition that carries love. Asking, seeking, knocking for one another. And so genuine love then in the church is, is the love of Christ. That God has chosen to convey through this imperfect conduit. This imperfect vehicle. But there are also tangible things that we need to consider. And Paul also includes those here, doesn't he? Loving the Lord includes our tithes and offerings. Loving one another includes contributing to the needs of the saints. Which is whom? You. 
Me. We are all saints in Christ. The word translated needs refers specifically to material needs. Food, shelter, and clothing. Similar to the second chapter of Acts, Paul directs our attention to knowing and meeting the true needs of one another. And as we meet those needs in love, as the body of Christ, we know as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for Christ's sake. Likewise, in love, we open up our homes, seeking to show hospitality. We are sometimes reluctant to open up our homes, but Peter reminds us that we are to show hospitality, and I quote the Apostle Peter, without grumbling. (laughs) Without grumbling. Hospitality, however, means more than pushing through. It means opening up. Because there is a certain aspect of vulnerability, isn't there, in showing hospitality. Rosaria Butterfield writes, quote, Radically ordinary hospitality shows this skeptical post-Christian world what authentic Christianity looks like. <sighs> she didn't stop there. She goes on. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all but is God's gift to use for the furtherance of His kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. And so let us remember this. The world does not define love. God defines love. But the world sees love through the church. In our love for the Lord, in our love for one another. And so let us put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let us keep on loving one another earnestly. So now faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And by this all people will know we are His disciples if we love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your love for us. Initiated by you for nothing in and of us. You loved us first. And we thank you for your love shown to us in your love for your son. And we thank you that in love he lived and died, and rose again, that we might have life eternally. And while it is perplexing to us, while we do not understand why you would choose to show your love to the world through us, so you have done. And so we ask that we, your people, would show love to the world by loving one another. Oh Lord, I pray specifically for this local church Let us be known in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Let us be known in the River Valley. Let us be known throughout the state and country, maybe even the world. Let us be known for our love for one another. And we will do this by your grace, through your Holy Spirit, to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, who indeed is love. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.